Before we get started this week, we're challenging you, Scrum listener, to predict the winners of the November 4th election. The Scrum Challenge is back. Visit our blog at blogs.wgbh.org scrum and send us your best guesses for the final election. The person who comes the closest will have a chance to crow about their winnings on the Scrum. All right, let's get to it. Across America, starting at... But I'm so glad... From WGBH News, I'm Adam Riley. This is The Scrum. Each week on The Scrum, we talk about politics and media from Beacon Hill to the Beltway. We have less than one week to go until the 2014 election. Of course, that means that if you watch any TV over the next few days, you'll be bombarded by an avalanche of political ads. Some of them will make you smile, some of them will make you anxious, and some of them will make you shake your head in disgust. This week on The Scrum, why are some political ads memorable? And is a memorable bad ad better than one that's just forgettable? We'll also kick around the question of why some attack ads hit home while others backfire and imagine the ads that we would create to help Charlie Baker and Martha Coakley win the governor's race. This week, we're joined by Boston Globe columnist Joanna Weiss. Joanna, welcome to The Scrum. Thank you for having me. Also joining us is Scrum regular and senior editor of WGBHnews.org, Peter Kadzis. Yo, Peter. Great to be here. Before we get started this week, I want to talk about some of the feedback we got to last week's Scrum in which David Bernstein and I sat down with Evan Falchuk and Jeff McCormick talking about their exclusion from the late campaign debates and the bigger question of whether they felt they had been accorded a suitable amount of respect by the political media here in Boston. Some of the people who heard that podcast were really, really not impressed with our treatment of Felchick and McCormick. Here's a a pretty scathing comment. I listened to this podcast today because I knew Evan Felchick was going to be interviewed. I have to say I've never been more put off in my entire life by two, quote, radio personalities, unquote. And I use that term loosely because it is a podcast. He goes on. There's a lack of media coverage for independent candidates. As a young voter, I'm angered by it. But what I'm more angered by than anything is two smarmy buffoons pretending to be the smartest men in the room. Both of you are podcasters for public radio for a reason. And I think you should remember that every time you make sarcastic, condescending remarks. That was a comment from James Bronner left on the Scrum website. We also got a comment via Twitter from the anonymous individual who tweets at Right Wing Watch Massachusetts. They said simply, pundits predict justice calls for an opportunity to debate. Dan Kennedy hopped in and came to our defense on Twitter saying, just heard the Scrum on WGBH News. E. Falchuk had a chance to appeal to voters and chose to debate Riley Adam and D. Bernstein instead. Peter, any, uh, I guess, remorse about the way that David and I handled Felchick and McCormick or the way you and David and I talked about them after the fact? Well, you know, I honestly think Felchick missed an opportunity to make his case. But I think there's probably some fair criticism. But I, I would ask the Falchuk supporters out there to think how their guy handled himself as well. If I have one regret, it's that the way I handled myself was perceived by younger voters as squelching because um, I'll accept that criticism. I think it's really important to try to engage younger voters. And I do think Falchuk gets, you know, top top grades for do, for doing that. All right, just a reminder, anyone listening can go back and hear last week's Scrum podcast on our blog, which you can find at blogs.wgbh.org slash scrum. 
Now let's move on to the topic of the week, the topic, uh, Joanna, that brought you all the way over here from... Did you come from Morrissey Boulevard today? Uh, not this morning. I'll go, I'll right. go back there. Spiritually, Spiritually from always. Morrissey Boulevard here to, to Brighton. Uh, what do you think, when we look back at this election cycle, say, in a year or two years or four years, what ads are you going to remember as memorable? Is anything going to stand out? I'm going to remember the very natural moment when Charlie Baker's daughter said to her, Dad, they said to him, Dad, you're totally pro-choice, which I'm sure happens in families across America. <laughs> That's a good one. I'll tell you, the, the, the ad I'm going to remember the most is from New Hampshire. This is the ad where, you know, um, how do you spell Shaheen? And it's Obama, O-B-A-M, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, that, to me, was a, a stroke of political genius. All right. Hold that thought about why that ad was a a stroke of political genius. Joanna, it sounds like you will remember that ad because it was so awkward and unnatural. Is that right? I think so. I mean, you know, and I appreciate the ad on some level. You appreciate what Charlie Baker had to do with that ad. I mean, he had to, first of all, appeal to female voters. He had to make himself feel like or or come across as a regular, likable, empathetic guy. Uh, Enlisting your family in an ad is always a little bit tricky. And scripting your family, I think, is always a slightly poor idea. Caroline's the ad that I'll remember, too. And we should note that Charlie Baker dropped the ad firm that put that ad together for him and switched soon after that ad made its debut, I believe. But I wonder if it it is still a net gain for Baker to have this hokey, awkward ad that we all kind of snickered about, given that, Joanne, as you pointed out, it makes precisely the points that he's been trying to drive home with voters. So is is it okay? It's almost like, you know, a really crappy pop tune that sticks in your head, even though you know it's not very good. Um, I will remember until the day I die Dad, you're totally pro-choice, or or whatever the exact words were. So was it maybe uh, a stroke of genius, to use Peter's phrase, for them to put together this hokey ad? Well, sure, because what do you remember? You remember Dad, and you remember pro-choice, right? And those are two yep. impressions that Charlie Baker really wanted to leave with the electorate. He did. All right, Peter, let's talk about your favorite ad, the how do you spell Shaheen, uh, how do you spell Shaheen Obama. What is it that you love about that ad? It's elegant in its, in its simplicity. It, it takes... Um, it personalizes without appearing to be negative the GOP's um, very successful attempt to nationalize a local election. Whatever you think about Obama, the assumption here is there will be mainly negative thoughts, is just summed up in almost a Jimmy Fallon skit. Um, it goes down easy. It makes its point, you know, with elegant simplicity. Um what I like about that ad is that it isn't negative, so it doesn't contribute to that noise that turns voters off. And, and, because you think about it, I mean, there are other ads, including ads that, that Scott Brown and his supporters have put out that have, you know, the grainy image of Gene Shaheen standing with Obama, and they seem to be smiling at each other, and it, it's fuzzy. You know, <laughs> I mean, you, you see this image over and over again. That ad that you're talking about tells the same story in a more lighthearted way. I, I just think it's, it, it, as you said, goes down. Humor easy. trumps everything. Mm-hmm. But I'm fascinated here both of you say that that's not a negative ad because it seems clear to me that it is a negative ad. It's just, as you said, one that has a lighter touch, one that avoids cliched images or phrases. Yeah. 
So it's a positive, negative. Well, ad. well, t- t- take you have to scroll your memory back, but the the famous Ronald Reagan ad, you know, there's a bear in the forest. Oh, that's you a know, great that, ad. That was very ominous, and that really was actively negative. Um, that ad could be dusted off today. Actually. Yeah, it, actually, it could be. We were talking in the Globe office the other day about an old Mitt Romney ad from this would have been what 2002 against Shannon O'Brien, the ad with the Basset Hound. Do you yes. remember that? Which was again a neg a, a positive tone, goofy negative ad where this sleeping basset hound was supposed to be guarding the money in the state treasury. The idea was that she was supposed to be, as you just mentioned, Joanna, a watchdog, but instead she was a lapdog. And there was a really sleepy, was it a, a it was basset, a basset hound? hound? Yeah, really cute dog. But again, very negative and very lighthearted. Humor unites people. Even if you butt, you're the butt of the joke, you'll laugh about it. Joanna, you mentioned a, a few moments ago how dicey it can be to include family members in an ad. One of the ads that I think I'll remember, although it's not as memorable as Caroline, is the ad that Mike Heffernan, who's running for treasurer against Democrat Deb Goldberg, the ad that he ran featuring his family. Let's take a listen to a little bit of that spot. I'm too cheap to waste money on a pricey TV ad, so I'm enlisting the help of my family to make my commercial. Honey, don't forget, tell them about your financial experience and about how you helped start a tech company here in Massachusetts. Dad, don't forget about the Boston Business Journal. Says you're the only qualified candidate in the race for treasurer. Hey, tell them about growing up in Southboro. Massachusetts needs a treasurer who's budget conscious. Frugal. I'm Mike Heffernan, and believe it or not, I approve this message. All right, so I was beaming as that played, and Joanna, I saw you, I think, wincing and shaking your head. I, my favorite part in that ad, obviously, is when Grandpa Paul, who's <laughs> identified with the sign, says, tell him about growing up in Southboro. But the ad, I mean, it's got almost sort of like a modern family-type sensibility, kind of quirky, but it rings truer than, to my ear anyway, my ear and I, truer than when Caroline gave Charlie Baker a hard time in that ad. So I, I love that spot. Why are you... Maybe it's, not as it's big a, cute, a fan. It's a cute spot. It makes my eyes roll a little bit because his, his whole the message of the ad is, oh, I'm cheap. I, I'm, I'm not spending a lot of money. That's a slick ad. That's a slick Good ad point. with a lot of cameras that were involved and graphics. I mean, either his family is full of audio video whizzes or he actually paid a lot of money for that ad. And I thought it was better than average. I, I have to say my favorite family ad, again, I'm dating myself, but very early in Bonnie Frank's campaign. Bonnie Frank, you have to remember, was maybe the worst-dressed man, was and is the worst-dressed man in politics. And it was Bonnie Frank's mother saying, well, yes, Bonnie's a slob and his room was always a mess, but you should vote for him anyway because he's really smart or something like that. That's my favorite. I think it works the first or second time. I don't think it plays well on repeated viewings. You, know, you were talking about Barney Frank's mom. This cycle, or during the primary, we had Steve Grossman's mom, who gave a lot of money to the Super PAC, right? Got a little bit of flack for it in the press. And then, I think really wisely, the campaign, the Grossman campaign, put her in an ad of her own, said, wait a minute, we got a gold mine here in this really kind of adorable, lovable, older woman who could give a testimonial for her son. I feel like that maybe is the family ad that worked the most for me this cycle. What is it? do you two think that makes a quirky ad either become a difference maker or not? And I ask that in part because the ad I remember most from the mayoral race was the ad where Mike Ross is running around the city of Boston, high-fiving, you know, constituents, telling them what he's going to do for for the city. Everyone loved that ad, um, but it didn't, you know, come close to getting Ross into the final mayoral election. Uh, Actually, let's take a little bit of a listen to that ad, although without the visuals, you don't get the full effect, but some of it comes through. 
When I decided to run for mayor, Mayor Medino told me to take it to the street. So, I'm Mike Ross, and this is my plan for a smarter, safer Boston. You hear the vigor? Yeah, and uh, th- that faux banjo. Banjos seem to be you know, banjo-like. Th- that protection. was the same, similar to what was in the Heffernan ad, actually. Yeah. Sort of a, you know... Let's go back to the Shaheen-spelled-Obama ad. In humor ads in general, they're usually employed by people who, who are not clear front runners. They may be way behind. Mike Ross's ad, he, he, he was someone everyone thought highly of, but he wasn't in the top two or top three. Um, Heffernan's a long shot. So humor is usually used to bring you from behind to, to gain Try ground. to get a non-viable it, it, candidate. S- someone who's leading candidates. doesn't usually risk humor because humor can backfire. Right. No, he, he, Mike Ross needed to get attention, and, and that, that ad did that, but it, it, that was a crazy crowded field with 12 people. I don't know that any ad, given the, you know, the constituencies, would have brought Mike Ross to the forefront. I mean, you know, he was one of many strong candidates. Yeah, I, I can't imagine Martha Coakley or Charlie Baker pulling out an ad like that this cycle. As you guys know, a lot of the ads that you see on TV around this time of year are the total hatchet jobs that come close to character assassination. Usually they don't come from the campaigns themselves, but for super PACs that are supporting one candidate or the other. Let's take a listen to a couple of those. First, I want to start with a pro-Coakley ad that rips Charlie Baker for using layoffs and outsourcing back when he was heading up Harvard Pilgrim. In Charlie Baker's Massachusetts, who loses? We do. As CEO Charlie Baker laid off workers in Massachusetts and outsourced jobs that went to India. Baker even accepted the Outsourcing Excellence Award for a deal that shipped jobs overseas while tripling his own salary to $1.7 million a year. If Charlie Baker wins, the rest of us lose. You know, I really love hearing these ads without the visuals because you really can focus on the music, the kind of horror movie music I and the sound I was thinking the same effect. thing. And did you notice the sort of Darth vader sound there in the back? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, the, the visuals in this ad really crack me up, too, because there's the, there's that famous outsourcing award. Charlie Baker actually won a plaque in, I think, 2008 for this for, like for, from an outsourcing organization. And the ad takes this award and makes it look like it's a giant glass statue in the middle of the Capitol. Little rotunda, like people would have to kind of like the state house rotunda. People have to walk around it to get places. It's like a two thousand one style. Yeah, obelisk yeah, exactly, in the ad. exactly. Like, wait, tourists aren't going to be able to make it to Massachusetts State House because they're going to have to go around this ad. Uh, but the music and all of these negative ads, I feel like I, I wish voters would have a Pavlovian response where as soon as they heard that music, they said, mm, "Let's not trust this completely. This is going to be a negative ad that's trying to manipulate me." So, Joanna, all that being said, you think that ad works? Probably will it probably will raise some doubts in certain people's minds about Charlie Baker's motives. All right, Peter Kansas, what do you think about well, that? Well, it was a beautifully unfair ad. <laughs> beautifully unfair. Um, made all that more convincing by Charlie Baker's boneheaded decision, probably before he thought of running for governor, for accepting that godforsaken award. The situation was much more complicated than every than the ad. 
um, conveys, conveys right. but Charlie set himself up for it. I would say that that ad is most important and most effective for mobilizing Martha Coakley's base. I think that in Massachusetts, voters are fairly sophisticated, and they know the music. Right. The music says, whoop, negative ad coming. So people who were thinking about Baker, they'll factor this in. I don't think it'll have a strong effect on people leaning towards Baker, but when at a time when Martha Coakley has to get her voters out, this ad helps her. And you know who I think it really helps her with is organized labor, which if she manages to win this, and right now it looks like Baker's running a little ahead. If I had to bet money, I'd probably bet on Charlie Baker winning. But if Coakley wins, it's going to be in huge part because organized labor comes out and works assiduously for her over the final week. So outsourcing is a, a great sort of uh, dog whistle isn't even right because that implies something more subtle. It's a great red cape to wave in, fl- in front of organized labor. All right, let's uh, hear another negative spot. This is a spot backing Baker, but not from the Baker campaign, accusing Martha Coakley of uh, having a major role in the mismanagement of the State Department of Children and Families. More than 50 children abused, neglected, lives cut short, all while under the care of the Massachusetts Department of Children and Families. Martha Coakley knew about mismanagement at DCF. Coakley defended the agency's actions, opposed reform, and tried to silence children's advocates. Martha Coakley failed our most vulnerable citizens. How could we trust her again? Joanna, what do you think of this spot? Is this one better or is the Baker one better as far as attack ads go? Which one's better? I mean, this one is the one that Martha Coakley came out swinging. In a way, I feel like she won the ultimate press over this one because she came out with the full force of all her supporters behind her and said, this goes too far and it's wrong. I mean, my my take is that while, as Peter might say, it it was beautifully unfair, I'm not sure that it was any more beautifully unfair than a lot of other negative ads that we see. Again, t- takes a complicated issue, narrows it down to some slightly distorted statements, and probably leaves the question a little bit of a lingering doubt, which is the purpose of that ad. Almost as unfair as the Charlie Baker ad, but more importantly, the tone was all wrong. I think that um, this ad could, this issue could have hurt Martha. Coakley more. But because the tone was so over the top, I think that this was probably a net plus for Martha. Well, it, it was. The images, too, are a little bit over the top. I mean, exactly. You've got, what, the empty merry-go-round and the empty swings. And you do, you almost imagine with that music that Chucky's going to be standing in an image with, you know, holding hands with Martha Coakley. No one in public life in Massachusetts should be making hay with the DCF scandal situation. Everyone is complicit because no one has done what they should. And I think Martha was unfairly singled out and it went over the top. There are criticisms to be made for her, but the tone of this ad is what defeated it. You know, oh, go ahead, Jordan. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, the, the, the reason I think that they latched on to this issue, though, is that DCF has been such a part of the news cycle for the last year, and so they really do want to hit voters. You know, people are kind of casually watching this election. They do One of the things that they remember that has gone wrong with the state is DCF. And you're right, in every administration there have been problems with DCF, but in recent, recent memory, it's, it's Deval Patrick's well, just, problem. I'll tell you, this, for, oh, this ad allowed Martha, really for the first time, to show that she's not a milk toast. Hmm. She came out fighting, and she was very effective when she did it. You know, I got to say, I, I do think the ad 
raised a legitimate question, which is when you're the state attorney general, if an advocacy group, like I believe it was Children's Rights, uh, sues the state, accusing it of mismanaging uh, an agency like DCF and putting kids at risk, does the attorney general decide my job is to defend the state? Or does the attorney general maybe say to the governor, you know, the points they raise are legitimate and I'm not going to not going to defend us here. You know, I'm not as convinced as you two, I guess, that this uh, is an ad that backfires. I feel like putting that issue front and center, it may redound to Baker's benefit. But what do I know? Joanna, you're raising an eyebrow. Well, I mean, with negative ads, you always have to wonder. Yes, they work. There's a reason that people spend so much money on them. They work. You also have to wonder at at a certain point from the voter standpoint, there is so much noise that you wonder if people are going to shut them out completely. Here's, Adam, why I disagree a a little bit. You you have a point there, but the tone of the ad was so off that allowed her to launch a very credible counterattack. An ad with the same information but a different tone would have had a counterattack that might have caused people to think, me think she protests too much. um, This really did give her her first opportunity to show she was tough. And in terms of the tone being off or excessive, I think that's amplified in this ad by the fact that uh, it includes Beth Lindstrom speaking for the group that put out the ad, sort of smiling happily as she says, I'm Beth Lindstrom and I approve this message. Well, you know, there are there are other tropes that you see in, in a lot of negative ads, you know, be, beyond the music and some of the visuals that we talked about. And some of those are a, a female voice in a negative ad. I think goes down a little easier in public mm. perception when mm. there's a female voice. You'll notice that both of the major super PACs in this campaign, but you know, the, the pro-Baker one and the pro-Cookley one, both have, a you know, in that, in that image that you say, I approve this message. It's both a woman and kind of, you know, nice-looking woman approving the message. Those things all are subtle and they go to the sort of subliminal, you can accept it, we're okay, Let's, we're, we're offsetting the negativity with this nice lady who said it's fine. I want to ask you two, let's say that um, the Baker campaign and the Coakley campaign came to us separately, of course. You know, let's imagine that we're not journalists, but we are high-earning ad agency executives. And they came to us and they said, we want Weiss, Kansas, and Riley to put together the spot that is going to win this election for us. Let's start with Charlie Baker. What ad would you suggest that Charlie Baker close with? Ooh, ooh, I'm waving my hands. Me, me, me. I would call the ad guilty, guilty, guilty. It would be grainy. It would be black and white. Joanna, it would have a woman's voice over. Of course. And it would show mugshot-style pictures of the the speakers of the Massachusetts House who've been indicted. Charlie Baker's name wouldn't be mentioned at all. With all clumb, what do these three men have in common? They were all Democrats. That's my ad. Ooh, I, I would actually go positive. I would I would go with an ad that's not dissimilar from some of the pro Baker ads that have already run in the campaign that fail to mention that he is a Republican, even though in many cases they are financed by the Republican Governors Association Super PAC. Uh, you know where you see Charlie Baker with women, with minorities, with people who look like traditional Democrats who are they've got their arms around him, they're endorsing him, they're making it. It's safe for people who are Democrats and independents and might be skeptical of a Republican to say, oh, he's a good guy. I Something go which I, I have to note the Boston Globe's endorsement of Baker also helped the campaign do, right? I, I would say that Joanna just proved why she is president of the ad agency, Riley, <laughs> Kansas, and Weiss. And that is, that, like you said, that's somewhat similar. I mean, I was thinking of the Think ad that the Baker campaign put out, mm-hmm. which... 
I got to say, done by a different ad agency than did the Caroline ad. And to me, the contrast between those two ads suggests that they made the right call because it conveys that sort of safety that you're talking about in a pretty effective way, although not as effectively as the Weiss Kansas Riley stock. You know, let, let me go off script here a little bit. When, when Joanna just mentioned that, you know, a lot of Baker's ads don't say he's a Republican, that reminds me of the pro casino ads with gambling and casinos. Oh, I've even, even mentioned it's about jobs, guys. And, and nice old ladies cleaning. <laughs> up environmental <laughs> toxic sites. All right. Now, how do we win the election for Martha Coakley? Hmm. Well, I think it's tougher. I, I, I think it's tougher because Martha Coakley is an opaque personality. I mean, I've we've all been in contact with her for years. Um, I think you have Martha Coakley, you, you know, standing up or sitting there or in her kitchen and say, Look, you know, I'm a hardworking woman. Some people say I'm not easy to know. When you have a narrative like that going, her voice goes over, and then you show headlines, you know, of her regulatory victories and some of her, um, you, you know, prosecutorial victories. And you have her presenting herself as every woman, you know, from her kitchen. And then at the end, it's a minute spot. You close back in the kitchen, and Martha asks for your vote. I'm intrigued by what you've outlined, Joanne. I want to give you the last word on this. Sure. But I want to, here's, here's my idea as we brainstorm. My idea is an ad that features Martha Coakley at home with her husband in which her husband talks about Martha Coakley. Oh. You know, a lot of people say she's chilly. A lot of people say she's, you know, not emotional enough or not funny enough. Joanna, you hate my idea. I can totally tell. I, I think hate it's, your idea. I think Don't it's forget fan. she's president I of the agency. All right, why do you hate my Pink idea? Pink slip, man. Pink slip. Um, <laughs> I, I, I had a problem. There was a moment in the debate. I think it was, was it the, no, it was either in the debate. Yeah, in the debate last night, she talked about how she was a good cook. There was a, the Globe had a profile of her husband testifying to her I don't her want her husband skills. talking about how she loves but high no, heels the or man, something. I don't I don't. If man I'm Martha Coakley, I don't want. I don't All want right. a man testifying for me. I want to be able to say things in my own words. I think Mar- you don't show Martha Coakley trying to rally the troops because that's not her strong suit. You got a close up of her, maybe as Peter said in her kitchen, and she's talking with with some understated emotion about how meaningful it was to her to say pursue the uh, you know to, to, to try to get Doma to, to, to fight Doma to uh, pursue the buffer zone to pursue mental health as she did in one ad. To to touch on emotional family issues that are going to hit people with their heartstrings. Would it be okay then to, to take a little tiny bit of my idea and have her saying, you know, some people say X, Y, and Z about me. Have her acknowledge up front, you know, here's the bad rap I get, and then say, here's why it's wrong. Yeah, write me a script. I'll consider it. Yeah. Ooh. Thank Do you, Ms. I, I'm glad I still have my job. That's all I can say. Before we wrap up this week, another reminder to send us your prediction for next week's election on the Scrum blog, which you can find at blogs.wgbh.org scrum. You can see how your guesses stack up against other Scrum listeners and against we Scrum principles. Joanna, are you going to enter? Anonymously. Anonymously, okay. Uh, Joanna Weiss, thanks for joining us this week. Thank you for having me. Joanna Weiss is a columnist at the Boston Globe. If you like what you hear from the Scrum, please subscribe to it in iTunes. And Joanna, not to put you on the spot again, but have you subscribed in iTunes? Yes, I have. Excellent. Uh, Peter Kadzis is the senior editor at WGBHnews.org. Peter, thanks for being here to you as well. It was a long trip down from upstairs, but I'm always glad to be here. The Scrum team also includes WGBH political analyst David Bernstein and producer Abby Ruzica. 
We had help today from engineer Jane Pippick. I'm Adam Riley. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News. <laughs>